let me start off with a quick introduction for any folks whom I have not had the opportunity to meet or we may not know one another. My name is Erica Jordan Thomas. I am founder and CEO of EJT Consulting LLC and Get Launched Consulting. And this week is Get Launched Consulting Conversations. And I'm excited to have a conversation with Rachel this evening, who has launched her own consulting business. And y'all, it's been an amazing week of conversations. And tonight, I am so excited for you all to learn about Rachel's business and her journey, because it's a really, really good one. So Rachel, introduce yourself. Give us your like education movie trailer. Yeah. Thanks for having me. So my name is Rachel Vicente. I am the CEO and co-founder of Rachel Vicente LLC. So what got me to this place now where I'm a full-time entrepreneur? That is a great question. So I think many educators on this call, I started off as a teacher. I was a science teacher in Chicago. And then I transitioned into coaching science and math teachers. And I did that for three years. And really, when I was in the role as a coach, I was really centered around answering this question of what makes a teacher really good, well, actually transformational, given their identity markers. At the same Mm -hmm. time, I was also, uh, in the summer times, training new teachers around culture-responsive pedagogy and teaching practices. And then I transitioned into a different organization where I started coaching not only teachers or transitioning into actually coaching uh, their coaches, coach managers, and other senior leaders. And really the helm of it was, how do you ensure that teachers and all peoples across the organization who are impacting program are leading with anti-racist practices, actually leading with the principles of culture-responsive pedagogy or teaching, as we would say, and leading a lot of design work programmatically and shifting us to be essentially more aligned to what was what is, I should say, the burgeoning uh, work in the ed world, which is around anti-racism, essentially. So It landed me here where I wanted to start thinking differently about what my impact could be, not within an organization, but working for myself. And and there's a lot of perks within that that I'll jump into later. But my work has transitioned me from being a nine to five to being full-time entrepreneur. It has transitioned me a lot of places from being in uh, Chicago to Boston and now to Miami and in different parts of the country doing work. So that is some of my movie trailer in this work. Yes. Oh my goodness. So this is so exciting because um, you're a full-time entrepreneur, full-time consultant, and this is going to set the stage for a lot of nuances that we haven't been able to have a conversation around yet. And so I'm excited for that. So y'all show Rachel some love in the chat and welcome her as we we um, dig into her journey. So we'll, let's start with what would you define as the problem that your business is solving? Yeah. So I think if we were to say my work is in a big umbrella and I'll start with the umbrella and then zoom into the education work. So in my under my umbrella, I'm essentially solving the lack of anti-racist practices, systems, and policies in businesses and in organizations. So mm. DEI is lip service. 
period. And so we need to make sure that we are saying things and having actions that match that. So that's my essentially big umbrella. When I think about education, my problem statement is that there is a lack of culture-responsive pedagogy from programming all the way to staff culture, all the way to just the systems, essentially. And so I'm solving, transforming, and ensuring that all uh, pieces of our business's model are culture-responsive or anti-racist. So essentially, that would be how I would define myself. People like to say I'm a, or I like to say I'm a DEI strategist, coach, and trainer. And so if that is the catchy way to to refer to me, that that is cool. And so how did you, how did you land on that problem? Because I feel like a lot of folks who are launching their businesses and especially educators, like it takes so many competencies and skills and mindsets to be an educator that when it comes to pivoting and to entrepreneurship and launching our consulting business, we're often like, oh my gosh, okay, now which one of these problems like, do I want to solve? I have all these gifts and talents. Which one do I want to like zoom in on and make that the focus of my business? So how did you choose this path and this problem? I feel like it chose me, to be honest. <laughs> so Basically, I realized that one of the things that was a big tension point for me in a lot of the places that I worked was that what we asked of students and what we wanted our classroom experience to be was totally different or had different expectations for what we wanted our staff and the experience for them to be. And I'm talking particularly our Black and Brown staff members, right? Mm -hmm. And so most of the places that I worked in education were the students that we were serving were Black and Latino. So I was doing a lot of programming that was centered around culture-responsive pedagogy, right? Ensuring that students had a identity-affirming curriculum, ensuring that they were able to orient to each other, that they were having high achievement, but also developing social political awareness, um, as well as other pieces. And yet, what I was seeing was that in the staff, there were a lot of gaps in experiences and culture. So we were saying like, yes, we want this really affirming experience for students and actually not saying or saying we want the same thing, but actually not putting whether or not it was time, resources, et cetera, behind that. So a lot of what I actually was doing in my nine to five is truthfully what I do now. So I became obsessed, I would say, mm. with this tension that I was experiencing and really worked hard in my work and my leadership to ensure that I was essentially modeling everything that we wanted to be true for students in the ways that I led all of my projects or led mm-hmm. with other staff members. So for me, it really, I think a lot about landing on this problem was, was just this really curiosity of like, why isn't it happening in a lot of educational institutions? Why is lip service so common? What are the biggest blockades for that? And how can I actually demonstrate what is possible to lead with anti-racist practices, to be culturally competent in all of mm-hmm. my work and recognizing that it is possible and it's actually not challenging. It is just takes a lot of dedication and obviously knowledge. So for me, a lot of it was sitting down to say to myself, what do I already do in my nine to five work? 
what do people ask me to support them on, right? Is it vision setting that's centered around anti-racist practices? Is it leading with equity, et cetera, et cetera? So a lot of it was just reflecting. And I think that's a, we often dismiss our natural Mm. gifts as just like, sure, everyone has it when in reality that what people are asking for you to help on is what you can consult with. And it just really took me some time to sit there and say, oh, there's actually a need for it. And Mm. I am in the perfect place. I'm like talented. It's my expertise. And I have the receipts. Come on, receipts. (laughs) Yes, receipts. I I love this, almost like this kind of criteria or like reflective question that you named of to help folks get clear on the problem that they would identify for their business that it would be solving. Like, what do people come and ask me for? What do people ask me to do? What do people give me feedback on that like I do really, really well? And so there's something indirectly that you're saying that makes me wonder because it it's, sounds like you, I know this is a fact now and I'm wondering if this has always been true for you, that like you are really confident in this area of like, this is, I'm bringing heat. (laughs) So like, I'm wondering if you always felt that way or I'm I'm wondering like just your journey in that because I think that's one of the mindset things that many people, some educators struggle with in launching their consulting business where they're like, am I really that good? Like, well, people want to pay me to do that, pay me to do that. So I'm wondering if you had to work through any of that. So... I actually went through like multiple iterations of what I wanted to consult with and on. And so I remember that there was in the beginning of June when there was a lot of social unrest and essentially racism that was the overt racism, covert racism was exposed. And I remember a lot of my friends were coming to me and asking me questions around um, like, how would you approach X? to your like how would you respond to this business's DEI statement the like black and I remember like Mm -hmm. responding in the way that I was and people were just sharing like wow that is really poignant or I never thought about this way or that's another different approach so for me when I think about what I would call is my like phrase of leading with equity or my orientation to the world. It's so ingrained in how I think and how I move that I actually forget that it is a Mm -hmm. skill and an expertise. And so it was really important for me to actually pause to say, one, this is something that is unique and I have the experiences in it. Mm-hmm. And then two, actually taking time to say, what are the experiences that I've had, not just in my career, but in my life that have set me up for this? So I talk about this a lot, but I was in sixth grade doing diversity trainings on racism and anti-Semitism. Girl, you ain't so tell me that. I forgot, you know, like, I forgot. Come on, sixth grade projects. <laughs> Like who recruits a sixth grader? But anyways, I mean, oh, I love that. that like you're naturally, I mean, a lot of the work and we can talk about my services, 
I was in peer mediation since middle school where I was helping people with interpersonal coaching and coaching them essentially through through problems. And so it's not surprising that I literally end up doing executive coaching now. And so for me, it's actually was really important for me to say, right, answering that first question of like, what are people asking me about to help them with or like helping them process with? And then the second one is really saying, okay, where have I developed these skills and these gifts in my life? Because I truly believe that we were set up for a lot of Mm -hmm. things in our life. And we just don't take the time to really reflect on that, which is why I laugh about my sixth grade self doing um, (laughs) anti-racism and anti-Semitism training. Like, but, but in truth, when I think about (sighs) those things, I feel so much more confident, right? Because it's not just like, Rachel launched her business earlier this year. It's actually like, I've been doing this work for decades. for mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. a very different orientation to what you spoke to, to the confidence is actually like, I've been developing these skills and fine tuning them in a professional setting. Yes. Right. And the mm-hmm. only thing that's changed is I'm Rachel Vicente LLC, but the Rachel Vicente that you had a year ago, two years ago, nine to five is the same person doing the same type of work. And so once we start orienting differently to what does a business owner mean? Being a business owner now is, well, there's a lot of things that are different beyond, you know, controlling your own social media, which we can talk about later. But (laughs) in terms of doing the work, when I think about the work that I'm doing as a full-time person now, it's, it's actually the same type of work I was doing before. But now I get to choose, do I want to take on this client? I'm not sitting Freedom. in 25 all staff meetings or like I get, I have the freedom to do the work that I love and the work that I'm good at. And that will have an impact. And that liberation is what keeps me from not going back to a nine to five transparently, even though I have to pay for own insurance. But <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, Rachel. I first off, I, I giggle so much at your sixth grade presentation because I can literally visualize it. I can literally <laughs> visualize you in sixth grade, like doing equity work. I literally <laughs> anti-racist presentations. That is just so uh funny and not surprising at all. And you said so many points that I think are so important is you know. Part of indirectly what you're saying is part of your journey as an entrepreneur and in launching your own consulting business is being really, really clear on your gifts and talents. And one of the invisible forces that's at play as educators is is sometimes we think everybody can do what we do or we, we take for granted the special sauce or finesse that we have that actually makes us really bomb educators. And I hear you talking around this level of awareness of like really, oh, as the word, the language you use is like standing in your shine and like really owning your unique abilities, talents, and gifts. And I think there's a lot of mindset work that has to be done in order to get to that place. And so to hear you talk about that, I'm like, come on, Rachel. Yes, CEO, come on. And there was someone who had a quick question before we move on to the next one, but it was, did you do any type of journaling or use any like framework to just reflect as you think about how you 
you know, landed on the problem your business is solving? So uh, surprise, surprise, I was in EJT's first cycle and, and a lot of the work that we do in the first initial link, weeks of the Get Launch Consulting program is actually doing a lot of reflections around some of those questions. So that that's like part one. And then part two is, I mean, I, I definitely did journal and started to think, I mean, I did a lot of you like looking back at, and it sounds really silly, but like actually like looking back at my resume and starting to pull like, what are some of the trends? What are some of the things that I've done for a while? And also just like thinking back from college, thinking to when I was in K-12, just as similar things like educators, we're asked a lot to reflect on our K-12 experiences. And oftentimes it's through the lens of what are you going to do differently through teaching? And like, how are you socialized to teach in this way or like to educate mm-hmm. in this way? And actually, like, how do you flip that and say, what are my educational experiences and things that I've learned that have helped set me up to be an entrepreneur or helped me develop these skills? And so it's a very different orientation to reflections that we always do. Yeah, yeah. And one of the things this uh, makes me think about is, so there's a book called The Big Leap. And in the book, it talks around the zone of genius versus zone of excellence. and zone of genius are like things we just do really well, like we could do in our sleep. And the difference between that and your zone of excellence is like your zone of excellence is the intersection of multiple different talents and gifts that make you so unique that when you step into it, nobody else can do it like you. Like there's this like new level of like energy activation of new level of just effectiveness that you step into when you step almost like inner energy too. That's the difference between zone of excellence and zone of genius. Like there's some things I do well, but like they don't give me energy versus when I step into my zone of genius because I'm operating at my highest level of gifts and talents. Like there's this new level of, of, it's almost like floating and I hear, as I hear you talk, it's so clear that this is your zone of genius. <laughs> like, this is your purpose. So tell us a little bit about your services. Like, how do you deliver <laughs> on solving this problem? Yeah, great question. So I'll say I want us to put on our hats of what do we do when we're trying to solve a problem? So step one, when we're given a problem to solve, we first analyze the problem. We are trying to figure out what are the gaps of that particular issue? Let's just say it's a coaching framework, right? So the vision is that it's culture responsive. And so you're analyzing it to see the coaching framework to see, is it aligned or is it not aligned to this vision? So then you have some recommendations for what the person could do better on or what the, let's just say it's your manager could have improved on. And so you're giving some recommendations for it, right? Mm. And that's essentially part two, which is a design, right? You're now you're designing or helping iterate on a new coaching framework. That is part three, which is, all right, we have this new coaching framework that's aligned to anti-racism, aligned to culture-responsive pedagogy. And now we need support on how to execute and how to implement that. So that support could be training. That support could be one-on-one coaching or group coaching. It could be a lot of things. So when I think about 
exactly what I was doing in a nine to five is how I translated it into my business. So I have three distinct buckets is like what I call it. I do analysis of a particular issue. I do planning and design, and then I do support, uh, implementation support, which includes, like I said, training and coaching. Now I want to distill that as three separate buckets because those are three separate skill sets. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes, y'all will know, sometimes people just want you to help in part three, right? You already have this coaching framework. It looks great. It feels like it's jiving. And we just need to help these instructional coaches in supporting teachers for that. And so I need a training for that, mm-hmm. right? Or actually, I don't even know where to start. So I want to hire somebody else to actually build it out for me. So it's really important for one to distill them because they are separate services. And for a lot of institutions, not just in education, they actually might need you to plug in different areas. And so by distilling it, it's helpful for them to be able to say, oh, actually, you know what I need? I need analysis and I need design and planning, or I just actually need support. So a lot of the work that I do is in that. And so for people that want more like holistic support from me, they'll go through that all three of that cycle. And if you're more mm-hmm. in a talk, you might just go to the last one. So there's a lot of things I could be doing. For example, uh, advising DEI task forces is a big one. Right now I'm doing executive coaching for senior leaders around how can they ensure that they're making decisions grounded in equity, right? So there are a lot of different nuances to that, but it's a, and I know you should say this, it's a pretty sophisticated business model, but it's essentially exactly what we do as educators in our work all the time. Oh my gosh, this is uh, this reminds me of a point that was made last night that given that you have on the ground experience doing the work that you are doing in your business, like you had already generated your framework and content. It's not like you were starting off from scratch in terms of, of what you would be delivering services or resources. And I think that's such the beautiful gift of educators who launch their own consulting business is that you ha- you are already building assets for your business in terms of knowledge, in terms of intellectual property, in terms of resources. And so to hear you directly name that of like, I was actually doing this work as, under an employer and I'm actually doing the same work, but now I am my employer. Right. Um, I think that exactly. just so clearly lays out for folks that like, you are actually already doing the work you could be doing in your business. Period. Um, you, you, you just have to orient differently because now you'd be the CEO. And totally. so, so tell us around how you found your first client. Like, what was that process like? So how I still find my first clients or still find my clients is how I found my first client, which is word of mouth. I had a former colleague who knew I was in the midst of launching, aka making it public that I was going to do all this stuff that I was doing informal, now formal. That's right. She had reached out to me and shared like, hey, there is a business owner who is looking for someone to basically do monthly trainings uh, for community, for their community around how can they be better anti-racist in their work, right? So she was like, I think you can do it. And 
imposter syndrome came in real quick and was like, are you sure that you're the person for this? Like, I mean, a lot of that. And to be clear, I did trainings like weekly in my last job. So there was like, I don't know where this was coming from. I mean, it was stemming from a new experience, right? Mm-hmm. And and not yet for me, silencing my imposter syndrome and remembering things that I've shared now, which is that I've been doing this for a long time. And just because I'm CEO is, does not mean that I lost all my skills. Like just because I have an LLC at the end of my last name does not mean I like totally forget all the things. So I was connected to this business owner through my former colleague um, mm-hmm. and connected. And then we moved forward. And uh, this person, my, my first client is still my client and has also connected me with other clients. So when you do good work, people want to work alongside nice. you. And like, obviously there, for me, there is a need. And I'm sure in a lot of the people who are speaking, uh, this week, there is a need for whatever problem that they're solving. And the reality is just stepping into that and believing that you can do it. Mm-hmm. What do you enjoy the most about being full time? Because that's, we haven't, we're about to dig into that part because like <laughs> that is huge in terms of like being full time. Yeah. So let's start with first with what do you enjoy most about being a full time entrepreneur? I referred to this earlier, but I think I, what I love the most is I can say no. If I don't want to do a project, I don't have to do it. I mean, like, yes, there is. And we can talk about this. The finances part of being a full-time entrepreneur is important to understand. But I philosophically believe that I want to wake up every morning being personally fulfilled by the work that I do. I lead a lot by my values, which is obviously an anti-racist practice. And and that is a value of mine. So I, I, I honestly assess a lot of my clients through my own values. And I ask myself the question of, will this bring me fulfillment? How mm. impactful will this be? And mm. like, how do I see myself working alongside this particular client or client group? And so I'll give a concrete example of one. One of the beauty par- beautiful parts of being my own business owner or like being my own employer is I get to model anti-racist practices in my work without fear of being silenced, tone police, et cetera, et cetera. Like I speak truth to power. I use direct language. I don't shy away from saying a thing. If you follow me on social media, you'll know that that is true. I decenter whiteness. There's a lot of things that are true. I do not operate with white supremacy culture. I do not, I am not invested in urgency culture, which is very mm-hmm. a lot of the work. And so I had received an email from a potential client. It was Friday at like, let's just say it's three, it was 3 p.m. And I was already had unwinded for the day. And on Monday morning, I essentially got a follow-up email at like, let's just it was, I think it was like nine o'clock in the morning. And was like, hey, have you, did you receive my email from last Friday about X, Y, and Z? Now, I don't, have never worked in corporate America, okay? That (laughs) could be the culture in corporate America. It is not the culture that I'm used to. And it was not the type of client relationship that I wanted to be a part of where I was going to be getting urgent emails all the time with the expectation that I was going to turn it around. That was just not the 
experience or the like atmosphere that I wanted to operate in. And so I actually said I, I did not want to partner and take on that project. And that's the beauty of it is that like I can make those decisions without feeling any guilt because at the end of the day, it's grounded in what I value and what's really important to me. So Mm-hmm. If you're looking for that level of freedom and being able to operate authentically as yourself, there is nothing like being your own business owner, being your own business person, and being <laughs> your own employer. All that. Yes. Oh, I love that because I know someone who's an entrepreneur has their own consulting business, and um, they structure their work on five month cycles so that way they can take July and December off. And so, like, you have that that freedom and flexibility when it's your company, when it's your organization, when you are the CEO, you set the terms and policies of your business. And, and, and when you do that, people will adjust accordingly when they yeah. want to work with you. They'll be like, all right, well, we'll make yes. it work. And so what, what was the hardest part, would you say, of, I'm going to say launching your business. It could be something that's also the hardest part of being full-time, but what <laughs> yeah. would you, what comes to mind? I'll, I'll answer the first and then I'll say an unexpected uh, piece. I think the first is that my like lead magnet or how I attract uh, my clients or, or share with people what my work is essentially through social media mm. and my website. So I had to really orient differently to think about like, how can I leverage my social media as a platform for people to get to know me and my expertise and my work? And so that meant me wearing a marketing hat, essentially, and really thinking about how do I, through my social media, communicate not just who I am, but also like my values and how I show up in the work. Because like I said, as someone who is a DI strategist, what you see on social media is the Rachel you're going to meet with in person. So like if I'm saying I'm going to decenter whiteness and that what feminism needs to be intersectional, that is not going to be, you're not going to get a different Rachel. And so it was really Mm -hmm. important for me to do that. And that's really hard because I differently, like all the content skills that I had in my nine to five, I felt really good at. Right. And so Mm -hmm. it wasn't such a big thing of like executing. It was actually more of the back end work where I hadn't really been doing marketing or any of those pieces like that. So that was really challenging. It's still challenging. I have an incredible friend, Christine, who's supported and helped me out a lot. And to be very honest, that would be my first hire besides myself, because (laughs) that does not bring me joy. And I'm very clear about that with myself. Mm -hmm. And so that's one. And I think the second thing about being a full-time entrepreneur, which is important in if you also follow me, uh, this was like a hot topic yesterday, which is just unless you are married or in a partnership, you lose the wonderful privilege of being on an employer insurance. And so I know that there are a lot of people. I have a really close friend right now who is, she's an entrepreneur on the side because she's worried about the losing their health insurance. And so I I am on I am playing the like high premium for health insurance and that is a challenge for me but I like one also because it's a pandemic and I lost during a pandemic so mm-hmm. that's just the reality <laughs> of it yeah. but I think the second is just reminding like 
I have to reorient. And this is work me and my, my mom helps me to do all the time, which is like reorienting to like, okay, if I need to pay, which is true, $600 out of pocket for my premium to have health insurance, that means that I have to factor that into my pricing model and just my clients. Like, so because I need to be alive, right? I need yeah. to be alive to do my work. And so that is a part of my livelihood. Um, just in the same way that businesses consider all of their expenses when they are setting prices for their products, right? We oftentimes don't think about that for our work when we're setting our hourly rates. We're just like, oh, but no, like now I have to remember, no, I'm going to be, that's going to be a expense that I have to pay for because I'm a full-time entrepreneur. So how am I going to think about that in my pricing? So that is really important to own and to name is like, you deserve to have your livelihood paid for and it's not separate. Yeah. One of the mindset shifts that's underneath that that I've learned in, in working with a ton of educators to launch their business is part of that is like moving from like the scarcity to abundance mindset, which hap- like it, there's, there's many layers to that. It shows up in many different ways. But, you know, part of that is rather than thinking that there's there's not enough money to be able to cover these types of expenses and therefore it generating a sense of fear or whether or not you should continue to to do this business in that way. The abundance mindset is like, all right, how do I find the money? Because the money exists. And so like either I got to find another client, I got to raise my prices, I got it like you then turn it into a, 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 stra- a business strategy to help uh, generate the revenue that you need to cover it. And that's like one of the biggest shifts as an entrepreneur is this scarcity to abundance mindset, realizing that money is an abundant resource that you can generate to cover the expenses and profit that you want. You just have to build a strategy around it. So how many clients, at what price point do you need? And then do the work. So I appreciate you naming that reality because it's real and universal healthcare should be a thing. And so we'll have to do a separate IG live. I know, yeah. (laughs) But you know, EJ, what I was gonna say is like, when we also think about white supremacy culture says that money is scarce, right? And that obviously I identify, we both identify as black women that like, Mm -hmm. we are not deserving of having luxury. We are not deserving of setting a price high. We are not deserving of like, we should only set our price to because like, that's our expertise and not like Mm. our other, um, sorry, because of our other expenses or like that we want to, we need a new computer. We want a MacBook Pro Air or like, and the reality is like, if you are truly living into it and in anti-racism or like a lot of educators say we're about culture responsive pedagogy and want our students, like we also need to have that same mindset about our worth and our lives. And so we can't be subscribing to white supremacy culture and just the ways in which mindsets around scarcity, mindsets around urgency, mindsets around our like our worth is just really depleting. And that is, I would say, big, big, big into launching your business as a full-time entrepreneur and like all of the pricing, like this like orientation that you've had in education and in a lot of organizations, which is like not sharing how much you make or blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I tell every single person that asks me how much I charge clients, what's my hourly rate, et cetera, et cetera. Because the reality is if I were to operate in abundancy mindset, I would say, right. 
they're not going to take clients away from me because there are other clients that I will be having, right? And the more that we know and the more that we share information, right? If we were to say like withholding information is inequitable. So when we don't share our pricing and when we don't aren't transparent with other consultants or people, we actually cannot have like, like we cannot have a price that's reflective of our worth. Sometimes I'm like, oh, I met with a client and I'm like, wow, they told me that their other consultant gets paid a hundred dollars an hour per like that, like that will be the hardest thing. Right. So um, a lot of those things just around like our mindsets are worth like your identity is really important when you're considering your entrepreneurship journey, regardless of like what your problem statement is. And so just being able to be really reflective about that and owning it and consistently like pausing to reflect about that and to see where is imposter syndrome showing up for me? What are the like scarcity mindsets that are coming up? I mean, I have to do it all the time. And my, my therapist made me create a folder and it's essentially for all of my wins. Basically, it's my my F imposter syndrome folder. Yeah. And it's essentially screenshots of like people who've been my client or former coworkers sharing like my gifts and talents with them. And a lot of it is just for when I'm feeling like, man, I don't know how I feel about setting this pricing with this. Like, even though I know I'm worth this. I take a look at that to remind myself like, no, I actually have a lot of receipts. And like, like you said, I, it's my zone of genius. You're not just asking someone to design uh, a new program. You're asking someone to model what you're expecting at the same time. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. Oh. Rachel, you said so much good stuff. And it made me think about too, cause uh, so, cause everything you just named, like part of it, it that's unique to folks with identities who have historically been marginalized, just internalized oppression and how that shows up in our business, particularly when we think about money and the money mind trash, the money mindsets, like there's so many layers to it that will continue to show up in your business that will always show up in your business. You just have to build your level of awareness to recognize it and manage it when it does come up. And sometimes I think part of this too is it's a little bit of the scarcity mindset of like, will I lose a client? Will I like not get business if I set this pricing? <laughs> totally. Or it's like the other side of how it shows up too is like not feeling like you can change your mind. So like if you set your pricing, you can change it. Yeah, <laughs> so exactly. Like, like you always have the right to change your mind. So if you quote something last week and you actually realize, oh, I undercharged, change the number. And so I think that's the other thing too, that, you know, is a part of just that journey of, of recognizing our value. And sometimes, you know, there's been times where like, I put a number on paper. I know that's the right number and it still makes me nervous. So I literally have to close my eyes, just hit send. (laughs) Or like I schedule the email. So that way I don't know when it gets sent. And I'm like, I just have to do it. You, You just move past it. You just... You literally just move through the fear and do it. Because especially when they come back and they're like, all right, cool. What are the next steps? You're like, okay, let's go. You're creating. I mean, uh, one of my, when I first started teaching, a mentor would say, you're creating roadblocks that aren't even there. Listen. So when you're, yeah, there's a lot of times I'm like so scared and they're just like, oh, that was, oh, we had a budget. And I'm like, Listen, and you know what? This is what I had to teach myself too of, of staying out of other people's bank account and staying in mine. 
Where it's just like, I'm all up in someone else's bank account. Right. That is exactly. not mine. I'm exactly. making assumptions. It's like, stay out their bank account. Get in yours. Right. Okay. Exactly. Stay in yours. <laughs> and what's in their bank account is none of your business. Yours is yours. So send that proposal. Exactly. And like, let them figure it out. And if they if they can't make it happen, someone else will. So, Hello. all right. So y'all, if y'all have final questions, go ahead, drop them into the chat, submit those. Two last final questions for you, Rachel, mm-hmm. is just, Tell us what your biggest learnings were through the program of Get Launch Consulting. So Rachel was in cohort one. So she will always remind me never to forget cohort one. They have a very, very special place in my heart because they were the very, very first squad of the program. The best. Um, and so, so tell us when you think back to the experience of cohort one, what resonates with you the most? Yeah. I think that orienting to what, what are your, what's the problem statement and like, what is, what's the problem that you're trying to solve? What are people out there saying about it? What's the challenges? So like, I talk a lot about that when in businesses, only 29% of employees take a stand towards racial justice. Mm. That's very low, right? Mm. So talk about like, for me, I or when when you shared like having a statistic that illustrates a problem, like what I just shared moves people to think differently mm-hmm. about the work. That twenty nine percent is a joke, right? Like, mm-hmm. so that has been really helpful for me in terms of like how do I get people invested in understanding the significance of what I'm trying to solve, the importance behind it, right? Like that woo factor. And I think the second, just some of the like logistical pieces around like, how do you price? Like, you know, you shared a lot around like, how do you figure out market pricing? Um, That's been really big as I'm considering launching a new service model right now Mm. to just the learnings of other people have lots of the same questions that I do. And one of the best, 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 best parts, I mean, um, we've got the giraffe gang here of cycle one is that some of us are launched around the same time and some of us are in the midst of launching now. And I have a lot of the same questions that they have. And we just have a lot of the same learnings around like, oh yeah, what's the mailing list that you use? Like like the technical pieces around like, what type of website that do you want to use? Like all of those things and having other people to answer those questions. And again, like there's no competition that is being felt and experienced as educators who are all launching businesses, even when the businesses are similar. And I think that that's like a beautiful thing that you don't get and experience a lot. Um, so those were some of my biggest, I mean, there's a lot of learnings that I had that I can't like one that I have the gifts and talents to do this work. Right. Come so, on. You better preach. You bet preach. And what advice would you you give to anyone who is just starting or they're in the early stages of launching or if they're thinking, contemplating, what what would you what would you share? Number one, I know it might be holiday season, but it's bet on yourself season. Say it again. Bet. Come on, bet on yourself. It's bet on yourself season. That part. I mean, period. So I think it's really to center around yourself or to center yourself and spend your break that you have. As educators, we have a big break in the winter time and ask yourself the questions that I pose to you that I, the reflections that I do. And I still do, right? 
what are the things that people ask me for support on and advice on? And and I want you to not just think about like your knowledge, right? Just because like, yeah, am I an expert on culture responsive pedagogy? Yeah. But what also like what made me particularly unique was that I my leadership style was that I modeled anti-racism practices. So not just like thinking about just like your knowledge, but like what do people say about the way that you lead? that you mm. operate, that you make decisions. Like, because people, there are a lot of people you that need executive coaching on how to make better decisions, right? Grounded in students or lived reality. Mm-hmm. Um, so just take your time to like really ask yourself those things. And then, right, do the exercise I said of like, what are all of the experiences that I've had in my life, not just in my career, because that's very limiting, but mm-hmm. in my life that have brought me to this moment where I feel confident about doing the work and just really believe in yourself and do some of the things that we talked about, which is like, start compiling. If you don't already have in your Gmail or your whatever your inbox, like a happy or like a proud folder where you put the emails that people write about you that are really great that you can start saying like, Oh yeah, I'm really valuable. And I bring, I bring this like unique perspective into the table because sorry, what's going to be hard all of the time is going to be fighting perfectionism, fighting your mindsets around money, your mindsets Mm -hmm. around your value. And like you, like I said, over and over and over and over again, you're in, in your nine to five, you're doing the work that you can do whether or not uh, you're a full-time entrepreneur or a side hustle entrepreneur, you are deserving of all of the monies, all of your rates that you're going to set out for you for yourself in the future. And honestly, 2021 is around the corner and it's a perfect time to really think about differently. And don't let the pandemic feel limiting to you. I launched the business during the middle of a pandemic and have been doing well. So those are some of my pieces of advice on like how to get started. I'm still learning and do a lot of my reflecting myself. And I have a circle of people, including AJT, that I really reach out to people who are, have been in entrepreneurs for a long time or getting started. So all of this, like I don't ask for help or things like that, like has to get out of the window. So, yeah. Rachel, you have shared so many gems tonight. And every time I, first of all, if y'all aren't following Rachel, you need to, because you will be a better person by just following Rachel. You will also get tons of joy by following Rachel as well. And so if you are not following her on IG, you need to follow her. And I get so much joy knowing the impact that you are having within your business because by you betting on yourself, you are are making the world and community a more anti-racist place, which means you are creating more liberation and freedom for kids and communities who who need it and like their their livelihood, their our world 
needs it. And so I'm just so incredibly grateful for you. I'm so incredibly grateful for all the gems that you shared tonight. And how can people follow up with you if they want to connect or if they are interested in your services or you have anything coming up that you want to share with folks? Yeah. So obviously follow me on Instagram if you haven't. You can also uh, visit my website and sign up for my mailing list. It's the same um, as my last, my first and last name. So rachelvicente.com. I, if you are looking for uh, an executive coach and helping you think about how can you lead more equitably in your work, please reach out to me. I'm happy to support you in that, um, in that journey. And I have a service model and I'm going to be launching in 2021, which is going to be really exciting. So stay tuned and sign up for the mailing list to find out. Rachel. Thank you, girl. Thank you. Thanks all for being joined. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out to me. So thank you, EJT, for creating this space. Of course. Of course. All right. Be safe. Be well. Bye, y'all. Bye-bye.